We consider today the continuation of the table of duties on parents and children. So we open our service with shepherd and tenderly. May God bless our parents.
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Psalm 100 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. God makes children, obviously. But people don't believe the obvious. I'll give you an example of people not believing the obvious. Some people can't even define what a man or a woman is. If we think it's mind-boggling that such an obvious distinction isn't understood by many brainwashed people, and they are brainwashed, then we should consider how it is that we ourselves also overlook the obvious features of reality and operate instead on absurdities. Because we do. All sin, if looked at from the perspective of God's word, is downright absurd. The denial of the natural distinction between male and female didn't come out of nowhere. The underlying notions that have led so many people to such absurd extremes are actually rather common notions. They are notions that many otherwise level-headed people and decent Christians have also embraced. They are sinful notions and godless opinions that should be repented of. When we realize that we have been operating under absurd and sinful suppositions, we should repent. This means we should change our mind, like even, yeah, on an intellectual basis, change our opinion. Tell God that we are sorry, as we teach our children to do. And then stop operating on those absurd and sinful suppositions. We should learn from God and obey him instead. Obvious things have been being denied among us for quite some time. It is God who has made us. Now that's as obvious as it gets. We have not made ourselves who could deny this. We don't make children. God does. And yet even while we affirm the obviousness of such statements of fact when they are stated, we don't always act like it's true. We act like we make our children, just as we act like we make ourselves. And then we wonder why our children act like everything began with them. When we repent of our sins, it is this realization, is it not, at the core of our every confession, I have replaced God with my own ego. We call it pride. Pride is madness. It's absurd. The most common thing to all of us is utterly absurd. It creates its own reality and tries to escape from God's. And this brings us to the underlying notion behind both the original sin of our first parents and all subsequent sin since. It is the notion that the deceiver of the world planted in our first parents' minds and hearts. It is the notion that we can be like God if we do what God told us not to do. In other words, if you act like your own God, you'll be your own God. You see that, that this obvious statement from Psalm 100 is more profound than at first it seems. We could say this, after all, in response to every sin we encounter. You're not God. God is. You didn't make yourself. God did. 
What can be more absurd than pride in the face of the glorious God Almighty who made us? What can be more absurd than a child who talks back to his own father or mother? And it was absurd from the start. As we have all biologically descended from the originally created Adam and Eve by way of countless parents and children, so also all sin in us descended from the originally incited sin in the Garden of Eden. All sin is a species of pride. Pride before God is laughably absurd. The Jews call this particularly ridiculous form of pride chutzpah, which can be defined from Hebrew as audacious and arrogant presumption and impudence. What says more than a definition, though, is the classic description of chutzpah as that quality in a man who, having killed his mother and father, throws himself on the mercy of the court because he is an orphan. It's so absurd that it's funny. This is the ridiculousness of sin before God. On what basis is a father or mother to have mercy on a child who would dare to disobey him? But at such sin, he who sits in the heavens laughs. This definition also provides a fitting way to look at pride as we consider the duties of fathers, mothers, parents, and children toward each other. Sin doesn't, have, doesn't make us deserve mercy. It makes us deserve wrath. And as little two-year-olds have that chutzpah of disobedience that just makes us chuckle, yet it gets less and less cute as they get older. And we see what comes of sin when it is left unchecked. So we must learn also not to laugh at sin, at least not truly. Because after he who sits in the heavens laughs, he dashes the proud to pieces like a potter's vessel. When God first encountered this sin, however, he didn't laugh. He only laughs once mercy is off the table. No, he didn't laugh. He cursed because mercy was not off the table. For after cursing the devil for his deception and before placing any curse on man and woman who were childless, he first directed the most tremendous curse by way of prophecy unto his own eternal son whose heel would be brutally bruised in order to crush the devil's head. And in this promise, he blessed for the rest of time the created order of parents and children. Adam renamed his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. This name commemorated not only the promised seed of the woman. After all, Christ would come through her, talk about all living, but it also commemorated the kindness of God, which he had shown in promising still to make them parents. God's grace in continuing to bless homes with children, therefore, is indistinguishable from his grace in blessing the world with his own child, our Savior. Thank God he does not laugh at our pride. He crushes our pride in gentle tenderness and mercy instead, in order to lead us into the humility of sincere faith, 
Our children are proud, and we are children of our Father. And his children, our children, are his. He is our dear Heavenly Father who corrects and rebukes us and forgives and restores us. And in the church, we find our mother who teaches us how to be free children of God, where our Lord Jesus teaches us to trust in him who made us. The mercy that Adam and Eve continually cast themselves upon in the court of God's judgment was not their pitiable situation. This is what Cain did, who killed his own brother. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Oh, pity you. If you read closely, God does have a sense of humor. It's almost comical. He deserves to die. But then we find him whining about something less than death. Pride. Absurd and ungrateful and misfocused pride. Typical of children. They get it from us. And what we get from God is patience and forbearance, even towards Cain. Even when your children are fighting and acting like devils with each other, your goal is gracious. Even with Cain, God doesn't laugh, but prepares a way of escape which he offers to all of us. And so we prepare that way of escape for our children by learning God's patience and forbearance as children ourselves. Sometimes sin becomes so berserk that we call it insanity. As is the case with the gender-bending madness we see today. On the other hand, sometimes insanity becomes so commonplace that we just call it sin, as though merely to dismiss it as something unavoidable and too commonplace to get too worked up about like the notion, for instance, that we, if not having made ourselves, at least make our children so that they become our pets and a project for us to imprint our own image upon. And so in either case, whether calling such terrible sin insanity or commonplace insanity, just everyday sin, we begin to find sin almost more amusing than dangerous. But we dare not laugh at the absurdity of pride unless we are prepared to repent of it. Laugh at pride behind you, but never before you. If God laughs at your sin, it's because he's done with you. No, we shouldn't forget how serious sin is, lest we also forget how simple it is to refute it. And it is so simple. It really is this simple, and it puts into perspective the absurdity and rank rebellion of every single sinful thought, word, and deed. God made you. You did not make yourself. While we must elaborate a bit whenever we address or rebuke particular people committing particular sins, this truly gets to the root of it all. And every more nuanced or directed correction is ultimately just a variation on this. It is God who has made us, and not we ourselves. God makes children, obviously. As we consider the duty of parents, that parents have toward their children, and the duties that children have toward their parents, which are obvious enough, obedience from children, honor, that you love them and see God in them, 
and diligence and mercy in parents. But more than that, for both of them, we see that there is a goal in mind. There is a goal. We want our children to know who made them so that we might teach them also who it is to whom they are going. God made us in order to make us his people and to have fellowship with us. Since we were born children of wrath outside of God's fellowship and in warfare against his holiness and hostile against his love for us, God committed his word of promise to the people he intended to save. Just as the first rulers were fathers, so the first pastors were fathers. And we see this in the estate of the home. And it's often a very difficult thing to navigate. We see it in the parental offices of father and mother, the origin both of the the civil estate and the ecclesiastical or, or churchly estate. In other words, we see that the right to rule in the church and also in the state was, a, was originally entrusted to the home, to parents. And to this day, we see that fathers and mothers have to implement not only corporal punishment and provide bodily rewards and incentives for their children, which really pertains to the kingdom of the left, that is the civil estate, but also they must instruct their children to know who made them and who saves them, which corresponds, of course, to the kingdom of the right, the preaching of God's word. We bring our children to be baptized, therefore. And by doing so, we confess that we didn't make them. By doing so, we teach ourselves and prepare to teach them that God made them. We made them sinners if we made anything. But God who made them through us is able to give them new birth as his own children, and he does. Our children are God's First, because he made them, and second, because he has claimed them in holy baptism. When we discipline our children's bodies, we're exacting God's punishment. When your parents yell at you, even if they lose their temper and don't act exactly like God, consider what it is that you're trying to be. God. You who want to be God are incensed that your parents aren't as perfect as God. Obey them especially if they have God's word. When we have compassion on our children, we are revealing God's compassion. You don't take advantage of God's mercy. You live in it. You desire it. You earnestly crave it. You don't want to be separated from your father and mother and from your family. When we teach our children, we teach them what God teaches them. And what do we teach them? We know that God made our children, but do we act like we do? We know that God gave them life, but what burdens do we place on ourselves to give our children the life that we wish they could have, even at the expense of hearing God's holy word, so that they might know where they came from and where by God's grace they shall go? It is very important, therefore, that parents find the wisdom they need in raising their children from God's word. God's word teaches us who we are as well as who our children are. We learn how to deal with our children's sins by seeing how God deals with our sins, and our children learn to know what we think of their mistakes, failures, and sins by how we think of our own. 
and what we do when our guilt is known. We, treat, we teach our children what sympathy we have for their struggles, not by taking their sin lightly, but by knowing where that sin came from, even in ourselves. We don't do this by winking at sins that we're also guilty of, but by repenting of the sins that we commit so that we can, with wisdom and a good conscience, address our children's failures and sins with integrity. Civil authority is not instituted to rule the church, but to serve it. So also, whatever authority we have as parents that touches on power over their bodies must serve them as they live as children of God. This does not mean that we may not punish our children for goofing off or daydreaming in church. We should. And children who insist on staying home while the family goes to hear the word of God should not be fed or permitted to leave the house that day. This is a great example of your civil authority serving your spiritual authority. Or what should serve what? Should God's anger, which gave birth to the most gracious plan that could never have entered the mind of man, God's anger over sin compelled him, because it can't be distinguished from his love for what he made, it compelled him to send his own son to bear that anger in our place. This is the power of a father and mother to bring their children to hear the word of God and to teach them of Christ. Or should God's anger against the nations who rage, at whom he laughs and dashes to pieces, should this Sir, should, should this be primary in how we deal with our children? Absolutely not. God did not make us Christians by forcing us to become what we must be. He made us Christians by burying us in the death of his son and raising us again in the same, in holy baptism. And whatever it is that he lays upon us is always for the sake of driving us to this goal. It is an abuse of the authority you have of your, over your children, obviously, to mercilessly beat them and starve them and abuse them, obviously. It is also an abuse of your authority to use your command as father or mother to tell them to do what you yourself will not do. To tell them that be the Christian that you yourself are not being. You are not to just teach them that God made them. You are to act like it. And the God who made them is not some distant maker of things. He is the Lord your God. Who loves you. Who has given you all these commandments for your good. When we deal with the reality of sin in ourselves and in our children. We see that it has been inherited from our first parents. And so we see the same type of thing happening on an individual basis within us. St. James puts it this way, that each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, you get this birth analogy, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. By sin, James is talking about outward expression. 
He's not saying that the desire isn't sin. It is. What he's explaining is how sinful desire becomes sinful deed. No one accidentally steals or hits or fornicates or lies. No, at the root of each of these outward deeds is desire, which is, is itself sin. And at the root of this desire is that eradicable pride that imagines the devil's first promise is true. You are God. You have made yourself. Live like it. And it will be so. How do we counter such sins? We can't change what our children may desire. You may not even see it. You can't even change what you desire. What we can do is find refuge in Christ from the sin that lurks at our door. We find forgiveness in the wounds of Jesus who rules us in patient mercy. We repent of our sins and listen to the gospel. What you talk about with your children on the way and when you lie down and rise up is all for naught if you do not listen to what God talks about in church. In yourself, we remind, in ourselves, we remind ourselves again and again that we did not make ourselves. God did. And when we encounter it in our children, we must remember the same. We did not make our children. God did. And it is God who redeemed them. It is God who has given you any authority over them in order that you might teach them the gospel. It is God who made them utterly helpless and dependent on you, weaker than you, dumber than you, and foolish, in order that you might convey to them what you were not born with either. But it is made yours in your baptism. You are saved by the same grace that your children need. And we live like it. We attend church where the gospel is publicly preached so that what we talk about at home finds context and grounding, and so that our children might see that they are not mere creations of God in a vacuum, but they are creations from God, born from creations from God, born from creations from God. Generations of sinners who have depended on his mercy and who find it in Christ. So here we find the apex and purpose and center of all authority in the parental office. We find sense in the midst of madness. We find everything making sense again when we see that the purpose of our own homes is to go with our children into the house of the Lord. Here in time where we hear the gospel and hereafter in eternity where we thank him forever for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.